All right, welcome to the Rhythmicity Podcast, where we talk to artists about their daily habits and rhythms that keep them on beat. I'm your host, Aaron Benavides, and producer, DJ, and event planner under the name Shadow Sweat. And today, I'm talking to Jeremy Von Stilb. He's a DJ, a writer, a filmmaker, party pl- promoter, and pretty much anything else that's creative under the sun. So, uh, but yeah, uh, he uh, mostly, I know him as Mouthfeel whenever I've played with him and talked to him and gone to his shows. So say hi. Hey, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. So uh, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk to you about, um, you know, just sort of your the the habits and sort of your philosophy uh, when it comes to throwing events and um, kind of crafting ideas for events and following them through the entire way. but I guess first, I just kind of want to talk to you about, do you have any uh, daily routines that are very essential to just to your creative life? Maybe a morning routine or anything like that? Yeah, every morning I wake up and want to quit. <laughs> it's important. So for about 15 minutes, I convince myself not to quit. <laughs> and then I get out of bed. So that's my ritual. Uh, to getting my day started, it's very healthy. <laughs> um, you know, usually I sit down and I make a to-do list. Uh-huh. I look at yesterday's to-do list and just rewrite 75% of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely then, know about that. Uh, get going again. Um, and then, you know, I like to check out what other people are up to in different cities. Um, you know, I like read music news. I look at Instagram a lot because I try mm-hmm. to follow a lot of artists. And then... Um, you know, I get inspired just by seeing what other people are up to. I read the news, I get upset, and that <laughs> inspires yeah, me. Yeah, that pushes you to to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and you know, and I start thinking about my friends and who I can collaborate with because I thrive on um, mixing with different people for sure. And that's, I think, like the my, community. Yeah, I, I'm really focused on community and bringing people together that would never end up in the same room. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's my number one motivation is trying to do unexpected things because there's some people who do events and they make so much sense to me and it's so crystal clear what their vision is and I get a little jealous of that. Oh, yeah, totally. But at the same time, that's not me. Um, I try to do something that's maybe a little jumbled and a little, yeah. maybe will look a little incoherent at first, but it always ends up exciting because it's not, not everyone's on the same page. For sure. And that is its own interesting thing as well. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, I think that's really important. So yeah, so you kind of, you wake up, take in some inspiring content, take in some, you know, whether it be positive, inspiring or negative inspiring sure. yeah Both and then you uh get jump into the day kind of thing totally yeah you know i follow up on events mm-hmm. um and then i'll try to like have a project that's easy to work on okay cool so i know i you know it yeah. feels good to succeed every day Absolutely. i've kind of learned sometimes like having a bunch of daunting or amorphous tasks where you're not quite sure what the outcome is can prevent you from working so oh yeah it's always good to have something that you know you can like kill it for at least a couple hours and then you know like edit a video project where it's just really clear like you just got to get from point a to point b yeah and then i have a script and i know i gotta like get to a certain part 
And then later in the afternoon, I'll kind of like work on the things that the outcome is kind of unclear to me. Sure. And then, yeah, around 4 p.m., I usually try to go go run around town like in Austin. I feel like that helps connect me to the city. Yeah. And, you know, I listen to new music usually. Mm-hmm. And then kind of new. That's, I think, when the really irrational ideas take flight and yeah. sprout where yeah, like new ideas are born where I'm like oh what about this it's something <laughs> I'd not thought about before and it's like really weird yeah and then I'll start like turning it over in my head as I'm like listening to like really wild music as I'm sweating my brains out <laughs> um, and then I get back in my car and I'll like write on my phone and then you know sometimes I want to return to that for like a year yeah uh, there's plenty of ideas in the last few months that I probably thought of a while ago, but just now I'm finally executing. getting around to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you uh, What do you write them down in? Do you just have a note app? Or yeah, do you just the, the little whatever the yellow pad. Okay, yeah. Is mm-hmm. you know in just your kind of keep them up. iPhone and yeah, I just like a friend actually started an Instagram that's really brilliant where you just screenshot late night um, note notes that oh, you took. Yeah, and so you submit them to her. And sometimes you'll have this weird note that you said at 3.33 a.m. on a Tuesday that's like, Naomi Campbell, lotion, eggplant, um, Dharma. You know, like yeah. you just list these things that like that late night thought. You're like, oh, yeah, I just like I'm thinking of some really yeah, great is, stuff. Awesome. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up and you forget about it. And, you know, a couple months later, you're scrolling through your notes while you're bored at the the car repair shop and then you're like why did i write this (laughs) but sometimes those things you know will make sense later or they just made no sense never and they never come to fruition i think that's something i've been trying to do a lot more i i've been uh i recently got onto uh trello Mm -hmm. it's like another it's like a productivity app kind of like a note app um it's really cool because you can see everything right next to each other but i'm trying to do this thing where everything that pops into my head that I'm like, oh, I should do that, or that's a good idea or something, you know, I need to just, like, write it down, but it's really, like, hard to, like, bring a pencil and paper or, like, to, like, open my phone and then find the app where I write it down. So I I put, like, a shortcut on my phone where I can just, like, boom, and then I can just, like, hit the record button and just speak it. Yeah. And so that way I'm, like, because that's something I think is really important because there's so many good ideas. Most of your ideas are, you know, most of my ideas are shit, but sure. it's just about getting them down there and then analyzing them later so I'm not forgetting about them. You, you know? know, I've been working on a project. It's a music video, which is something I'm a little new to. And um, I've been beating myself up a lot because there's a lot of edits or things that I would write down that I didn't like. And... I would feel like, oh, you're not good. You're not good enough. This maybe is a project you should abandon or find someone to like maybe take it over and you just produce it and you don't direct it. Um, But then I, you know, finally today, I actually kind of had this maybe low key epiphany of like bad ideas are okay. It's like when you put a puzzle together, it's not like you land every piece to the right spot. Yeah. You got to keep, you know, sticking pieces together till it works. And once I kind of like saw that analogy in my brain, it's like, oh, just because my first move isn't the right move 
doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you're getting closer to the right path. Yeah. I love that. I, that yeah, that's really great. That's hitting home for me because I think, yeah, especially when you're trying to take uh, on a daunting task or something that's maybe a little over your head at first. I think that's, you know, you really start to face those doubts like pretty quickly into it. And totally. it's all about trying to like put, you got to push through those, you know, that's the only way you can you get Conquering self-doubt is, <laughs> I would love to hear more successful people talk about that. Yeah. So I have literally like been at the bottom of my self-esteem spectrum <laughs> and I'm like, I just need to read about how Oprah got fired from her first news reporting job. Absolutely. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I need that really crappy inspirational listicle right now about how all these like famous people got fired from their first job. <laughs> oh no, totally. I, I spend so much of my time listening to podcasts and reading articles and books and all they do is just spend all this time like case study X person who accomplished a million things, you know, makes a billion dollars. Their first job, you know, they got fired from, they were broke, they had no money. Right. They were like absolutely completely destitute right. for like 10 years and they just kept at it. Their girlfriend left them, their parents cut them off and the, right. like, and now look at them, you know, right. so I have to keep that in mind when I'm like doing my shit and just being like. I got to wake up. Right. got to get back on that horse and keep doing it because, I don't know. Keep riding. What? <laughs> I, 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 I think about that a lot. You know, like, what is the, you know, if you give up, what's the, like, then what do you get? You know, what are you left with? Right. You know, then it's like, what's the point? Right. You know, it's like, you got to have something. Exactly. So, anyways, um, I guess I wanted to also talk to you. So, it was interesting. You were telling me as, uh, as we were sitting down. Um, that you moved to Austin uh, originally to do, uh, you said, film work? I came here to do film. I was living in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I went to film school right out of school. I um, worked for an art gallery that had, like, a residence program. So I made, like, all these little documentaries about the artists. And then from there, I was able to um, co-direct a documentary about the American political experience. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then I got hired to MTV to be an editor. So it's like kind of this great step um, right out of school. And then I decided to fuck all that up <laughs> and uh, save up as much money as I could. I was living in like a flop house situation that was oh, okay. pretty cute at the time. <laughs> but, you know, That's looking back yeah. 10 years ago, I could have only done that when I was 22, but um, decided to save up and quit that in order to make a web series pilot and put all my energy into that, which at the time was a great idea, but then the uh, economy collapsed. So the job market uh, really yeah. sucked. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just bad timing, but it was a great education. And so, you know, I was kind of struggling to reemerge back into getting stable work because it wasn't happening uh, at that time. And uh, my pilot was getting a lot of great reception, but there was a lot of a, um, homosexual undertones that they wanted me to remove. And uh. so it was kind of this identity crisis of like, do I kind of sell my soul in order to please the people that could maybe buy this? And, you know, one day I just woke up and I'm like, fuck it. I'm not that type of person. Yeah. 
And I'm like, had, you know, you keep hearing, you know, this was seven years ago. So, you know, at the time, Texas was like the beam of hope in the United States and the yeah. land of opportunity and, oh, there's tons of work. And there's, you know, the city, Austin, that all your dreams can come true. <laughs> and so I kind of like on a whim just was like, all right, I should do something really extreme. Yeah. And so I did. And then um, I came here looking for film work. And um, that was going okay. But then I was interested in throwing parties and, yeah. you know, DJing. And were so, you uh, were you a DJ before? I wasn't. No. So I was curious about DJing. I just did it for fun. Yeah. Um, and I threw a couple parties. I uh, the first party I ever threw actually was with Holy Ghost, who were on DFA. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I um, lied to them. So I was at working at MTV and I was bored at work, and they had this single "Hold On" that yeah. was you know like becoming like an underground hit or whatever, and it was the only song they had on their MySpace page, and I was obsessed with it. And on a whim, I just messaged them like, oh, you should come to L.A. And they messaged me back, which I was really shocked by. <laughs> um, and they were like, sure, if you just like pay us and get us some flights, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And I lied and said that I was a party promoter. I'd thrown some really weird, fun house parties. Um, but I just was like, OK, sure. And so I lied to them. I you know, because they were already like low key popular. Yeah. The bar was very enthusiastic, you know, cause they were associated with LCD sound system yeah, and all this label, stuff. Yeah. So, you know, they were like, I was able to convince the bar very quickly that it was a good idea to have me promote this party, even though I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so it worked out, it rained. So a lot of people, we bought, a, you know, the party did okay, and it was because I was able to like trick everyone yeah. that is able to actually learn how to party promote very quickly. Uh -huh. Whereas if I was kind of coming up in a different situation, who knows? I would have maybe had to work a lot harder to like yeah. learn. So I learned a lot of lessons really quickly: how to get you know listings in the newspaper, how to negotiate with the bar, how to negotiate with artists. Yeah. Um, so I had that in my back pocket. So when I came to Austin, I was sort of like curious about it. I threw a couple parties. Fell flat on my face, um, and then I walked over to Cheer Up Charlie's because a lot of people were talking about that place, and they were very interested. Yeah. And I connected with the owner Tamara really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I said my DJ name was Mouth, or the name of the party at the time. I wasn't going by that as my DJ name yet, but the party would be called Mouthfeel. Uh huh. She's like, I like it. It's kind of sexy. And I said, yeah, it's kind of sexy, sort of gross. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we connected over that. And I said it was a, a, you know, like a term associated with like wine tasting. She's like, oh, I had a bottle of Prisoner the other night. Have you ever had that? I'm like, oh, that's my mom's favorite wine. <laughs> so it was one of those moments yeah, where you just, just like, everything like was like, okay, cool, flowing. let's do this. And, you know, Tamara was super generous to me. Like some nights would work, other nights totally wouldn't work. But it was at the at the moment, like East Austin, you know, with like this yeah. developing queer scene, you know, there wasn't anyone really competing with me. I, you know, it's not like I was the first person to throw like an underground dance queer yeah. party, but at the time I was the only one kind of doing this. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that that was what, like five years ago, right? Six years Six ago. Six years ago? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of like a golden age for totally. E6. Right yeah, there. it was like new spaces were opening up. It was cheap. Uh, it there was wasn't cheap. any development. There's it was a lot still, of new people yeah, like myself. So it was just like it was just like one of those moments where like everything kind of I just happened to be here at the yeah. right time. And yeah, there's a lot of people I think were going through the same experiences and Austin just had that buzz, so we all moved here. But then we found out Austin isn't South by Southwest every week yeah, of the no. year. There's actually not a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. For everyone who listens, yeah, don't move here. It's not right. the same. It's not the magic that you see. Right, yeah. exactly. And so we're kind of like, well, what we don't have, we'll just create. Yeah. And that was amazing. No, and I love that. I love that ethos. How totally. often were you doing those at first? We did them every Thursday night. Oh, okay. So it was a weekly. It was a weekly, awesome. and it was like kind of every other week would pop off, and then the next week would suck. But I also was doing really weird stuff. <laughs> like, I remember my weirdest idea. So we did something called the Sigmund Freud Dance Spectacular, <laughs> and we had friends on the back patio doing dream interpretation. And I kind of missed that. I wish... I wish I did. I'm getting back to that, actually. I'm kind of being a little full circle. I wish I did, like, things that are a little, you know, wacky or however you want to label it. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's something uh, I like that that you're bringing that up because um, that's something that I've been trying to think of for Night Tropics, which is my event sure. at, at uh, Dozen Street. Because it's just, like, trying to think. I go to so many parties, and you kind of see the same shit right. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, DJs playing dance music. You know, right. and like everyone's just kind of like trying to outdo each other either with their, you know, the lighting or something. But sure. it, most of the time it's just kind of the same. And so I'm like right. thinking, well, if I want to do something different and I love that idea of yeah. just like, so I've been like, you know, my roommates are performance artists. And so um, I've been talking to them about doing like weird performance art at the show and trying to find you know new avenues for right. that yeah, right so i think really that's awesome. i think that's what people in austin in particular wanted because they're not into dance music here i think once they show up yeah if the music's good you know you respond to that but i don't think anyone wakes up friday morning being like wow i can't wait to dance to some obscure house music tonight yeah it's it's a small community of right. people who want to do that here. right <laughs> yeah but i think you know I've, I, I was very motivated by the music. I love what I play. I love what other people play. You know, starting a party, I moved to a city where I literally knew no one, which was very not my personality because I'm kind of a codependent groupthink person. <laughs> <laughs> so to just like, but you know, whatever. I just was like, let's do this. This will be weird. Um, was but. It who was the Who was on the crew helping you do that? Was Jorge Pena. Oh, okay. He yeah, literally just him. moved out of Austin today. Oh, he moved. Oh, yeah, he's moving oh, to Denver no. right now. Oh, wow. Um, so it's me. It was this guy Paul, and then this girl uh, Coral Rose, Miss oh. Coral Rose, who was oh. the hostess. Yeah. And she would read poems and talk about politics in the middle of the speeches. She would get blackout drunk and make out with everyone. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. Because, you know, I was very shy at the time. Mm -hmm. Now I've gone over a lot of that. But at the time, I, like, just wanted to control the music and, like, figure out the posters. And, you know, and it, you know, it was a good way for me to make friends to, yeah. like, be, like, send someone a Facebook message. Hey, I'm throwing this party. Would you want to play? And 
more times than not, people are into it. I oh, still totally. do that. And, you know, I am always afraid, but people I look up to are like, sure, if the yeah. idea is solid, um, you know, why not? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it was kind of like these, you know, like weird, wild, funny days where we were kind of like able to do anything. And it wasn't always good. <laughs> yeah. But thankfully, cheer ups and Tamara and Maggie, um, you know, took risks. Yeah. And um, finally, you know, after about six months, it finally caught on. And then since then, I, you know, it's each event gets bigger and bigger. And yeah. I've been able to build from one event to the next. So I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm that I found a space to let me kind of fuck up a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely really nice. <laughs> and I think I that's that's a it's a it's a luxury cuz totally. I think it's yeah, especially in Austin is the way it's becoming less and less places are I wanting to do, do that. I you know? do really feel bad for there's these younger DJs that are way more talented. I think than I was five years ago and probably more talented than I am just now as DJs. <laughs> They're just so much smarter and have this incredible depth and experimental nature that I don't have. Um, but they don't get to have a space that'll take a chance on them. Yeah, I try to do what I can to bring them on because mm-hmm. um, I'm inspired by them and I'm thrilled to listen to their music. But I... Um, yeah, I'm like, I don't see any venues right now that are willing to like let someone with very little experience, yeah, do something for the first, second, third time, you know. Totally, yeah. I think that's kind of that was my they, that's the reason why I do Night Tropics at Dozen Street because they don't give they don't give a shit like right. You know, there are I've seen bands play there to like one person right you know and it's just like okay cool right and i like that they're able to do that you know and that they'll let me have a, a residency there it is really valuable it. yeah it is really valuable and like you know i think like city council of austin when they um don't fight for sound permits or for rent control for spaces like this they only see oh this fe- this festival can bring in you know, this huge artist. Yeah. And it's like, you really have to protect the spaces that actually probably from a cursory glance look like not a lot's happening there. Yeah. But that is where the brilliant ideas, those are where the seeds get sown, oh, you totally. know, and those that's are where like connections are made. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like in the original cheer up Charlie's or these other sort of, I don't know what you call them, like rough spaces. Um, that's where I met the people I'm still working with today. Yeah. You know, um, you just meet people in a dark corner yeah. when you've had too much to drink, you know? And yeah, I am scared. I am a little concerned that in Austin, those moments aren't going to be provided. Yeah. I think it's, it's like we have to be vigilant about it because, I mean, more and more, some of the best parties are all... They're all like underground spaces. They're not vent- they're not bars and things, you know. They're right. places where you can stay open late and you can go there. And I think it's trying to find the places where you yeah, where you won't get the cops called on you at exactly. night, you know. So 
That's that's always that's the perennial struggle mm-hmm. in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to talk to you. Mention something, you know, like about your process for um, now that you've probably moved on from the the weekly thing. Right. Um, like, what is your process now of thinking about uh, putting an event on? Like, from okay, this is my idea to this is the event. You know. Sure. It's. Um it's the opportunity. It's timing. Yeah. I try to, I really try to do my large events around holidays. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Or just yeah, like, you know, whether it's doing something after Gay Pride or doing something on Halloween, um, just weekends where I know people are gonna like, want to get lit. Yeah. I really do try to plan around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about who I want to work with, um, and that's like on the top tier people that don't live in this city who are like touring nationally, but also like who are the emerging voices and I want to put them on the same bill. That's really valuable to me. So it's never this super aspirational thing. It's also about like who's, who's on the come up Yeah, and putting them on the same bill, I think is the most satisfying thing. I've literally like some people that have only gigged three times of putting, put them on, yeah. Bills were there with someone who tours nationally because people have done that to me. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely opened for people that I don't have that level of, of experience. And even within the Austin community, I'm maybe don't deserve because my skill set isn't there, but I've matched the vibe. And so I've just fallen into those situations. And then it's like you learn so quickly. One, you practice like hell. Yeah. Because you're so nervous. Yeah, because there's the pressure. And you literally turn the best set of your life out, so your skill set just emerges very quickly. Yeah. And you learn from watching that other person, too. Yeah. And so I think that's... I've been lucky enough to, like, get put on some bills I don't deserve to be on, but then I make it... um, And then you give back with... Right. Yeah. It's totally. Kind of like that. That idea. So people rise to the occasion. If you if you know someone's got, you can just tell if someone's got like a good start. You're like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna push them. I'm gonna throw them in the deep end a little bit. Yeah. Or you know, just because I've learned, people have taken a chance on me. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna like turn this mother out. <laughs> and then I do, and it's worked out. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's about yeah thinking about both ends of the spectrum, finding a good space, um, and then starting to visualize it, yeah. kind of seeing your fantasy version, and um, you know finding the right way to market it. Yeah, like if it's an artist you care about deeply and that maybe is nationally known but maybe isn't known in Austin, uh, it's like how do you translate? that this is someone everyone should be invested in. Yeah. And so. do you do all the graphic design for your stuff? No. I work with Lauren Dickens a lot. Okay. I've Lauren actually Dickens. worked with her since day one of Mouthfeel. Oh, okay. And we're still working together. I um, also, my first close friend in Austin um, has emerged as a really wonderful illustrator. Um, I mean, he's always been a wonderful illustrator, but in the last year, he's started making his own comic book and just is really stepping out. And so his name's David Charafa, and I've been oh, working okay, on posters cool. with him occasionally. 
And he's really great because he provides something that's very different than from what I think most people expect out of a show poster. Because it is kind of a comic book illustration with yeah. characters and like a really strong sense of humor and always a bit inappropriate. And I do think it kind of <laughs> makes it stand out. Yeah, for sure. So I love working with the two of them because they're very, very different. And uh, Laura and I give her just like a couple sentences and like three visual references. And then she always just gets it. Yeah. And then delivers exactly what I want, but also completely different from what I described. So <laughs> I'm always excited. That's awesome. To see something that I wasn't expecting. Uh-huh. And then David and I, you know, I usually work with him on something that's a little more literal, but it's always so great because yeah. he's just got this wonderful hand that um, draws, you know, just these beautiful visions. And I think people are really surprised by yeah. his his imagery. And you try to, so then you'll take their work and then put it like you'll get something for like the online or something for like So Instagram. I am super, because I live in Austin and I want to be connected to like kind of the rock tradition here, I nine times out of 10 get all my posters printed and put them up around town. Uh-huh. I also used to flyer, which I don't know if that made me stand out, but I was the only one on street corners outside of bars handing out flyers. And I have no idea if people ever showed up because of those flyers. But to me, the flyers was part of rave culture. Yeah. You know, you're always handing out, like back when I was going to raves, there's always someone with those little cards with like the weird faux new age, you know, lotus flower blooming like cg shitty cg stuff yeah you know and that stuff stuck with me that tradition of flyering and then the show poster like you know all the rock bands do it yeah. so i'm very very and it's part of my politics all my posters tend to be very um uh forward about being kind of weird and queer and alternative and so hanging that poster in front of the i love you wall at the joe's coffee shop yeah you know on the there's this one phone pool i visit twice a month to <laughs> staple my new posters on i don't know if people show up to the show because of that but it translates we're here and we're doing this yeah and we're in austin because that's a very touristy street and, you know, if someone gets a quick glance and sees, like, this weird image of, like, two women kissing in a psychedelic backdrop, which is my current <laughs> show poster, um, you know, I think that's as effective as um, getting someone to the show. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very big on printing my posters and distributing them around town. But, yeah, yeah. most of it is through Facebook. I think uh, I... I was just out dropping posters off last night, just wandering around the east side, and I, I had that same idea. I was just like, you know, I spent this time to make this poster look cool, and it's something, and it may not get anybody, but at least it's it's almost like tagging, like graffiti or something, but it's graffiti that's about events, and it's like it serves multiple purposes, but you're putting up a beautiful piece of art. Absolutely. I think, and I think if that's all it does is make someone look at it and go, that's interesting, right. oh, that looks cool. Then it's, I think it's worth it. Yeah, you know? you're you're contributing to this kind of ongoing cosmic conversation. Yeah, you know where we're all ping ponging uh, ideas, and 
you know, it sometimes takes a lot of work to get inspired and you got to do really heavy research and wake up and make that your motivation for the day. Be like, yeah. I'm going to find all the things I need. Other times you'll just see something by chance and then it just unfolds into this fully realized idea that you can go forward and execute on. And yeah. I've had, you know, I've had both where it's just like on a whim, I'll be like, I'm going to do this thing. And then it's like every door opens or yeah. there's this other thing. Like I have this vague idea and I've got to really force it into existence. Yeah. I definitely know both of those. And sometimes both of them, sometimes both of them work just as well. Sure. Know? Absolutely. Everything falls into place and it goes great. And sometimes everything goes wrong. Right. And it still goes great. You right. Exactly. Like, oh, there you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, when you looked at a finished piece of art, some people are like, oh, it just poured right out of me. You know, yeah. there's so many people, like, all these hit songs. You know, like, Sia is like, oh, I wrote Diamonds for Rihanna in, like, five minutes. <laughs> but then there's something, some other song that literally took five years to write because they kept scrapping it. But yeah. you don't know either way. You just listen to the song and you connect with it. Yeah, totally. You don't connect with it because you read. Oh, well, you know what? They recorded this guitar solo 200 times and they overdubbed it 50 times and they went through seven drummers and they went through eight engineers. That doesn't matter to you. Yeah. It's just like if it were, you know, I think in like maybe like fine art, if you learn the man hours, that can be a little more impressive, yeah. but I, yeah, it works or it doesn't. I feel like you, when you get to the event, you have to almost forget all of the work and all of the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it in a way, you know, because you have to not have any expectations for it. Right. You know, because it's like, you got to show up and if you're not in a good mood at your event, it's almost like a waste. You oh know? my God. My first really high profile event where I had to work with like a corporate sponsor and a whole team of people. Yeah. Again, I fell into it. It was one of the situations that it sucked from start to finish. But I'm glad that I got pulled in and ended up with more responsibility than I thought I would because I got to learn everything. But I was at this event and I was running back and forth and sweating and yelling at people to like get shit done. And finally, my friend who was a DJ and had, you know, way more experience, he grabbed me. He's like, hey, great event. It looks good. One piece of advice. You should smile. <laughs> Whether you're having a good time or not, it is a party. And the idea is for people to have fun. And if the person throwing it doesn't look like they're enjoying it, then maybe it's not enjoyable for anyone else. So at least fake it. Yeah. <laughs> but don't let people know if things are falling apart because that doesn't matter. They're only there to have a good time and like forget about their shitty week. Yeah. The party isn't their job. So, yeah, you know, it's... Um, that really, I instantly was like, all right, cool. I got to, like, make it look effortless even when it isn't. Yeah. And I think, I think that kind of comes back to just the nature of being a DJ, especially nowadays, now that it's not so technical. Mm -hmm. You know, you can anyone can sort of do it. Sure. I feel like almost being a DJ, it's like throwing events, you know. D being a DJ, you're kind of, it's almost the marketing Mm -hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people will, I see a lot, 
on the internet of people angry about that fact that being sure. a musician or being a DJ nowadays is about like marketing right. or something like that or promotion. But I think that's kind of, I don't know. I think that's the art of it. It's like you have to get, you have to unite people as a DJ or as a party planner. Sure. Your goal is to find people through the avenues that people use, you know, get people and bring them together. Absolutely. For a common theme. You know? I feel like I've sold all the people that have come to my parties on anything but the music. Yeah. It's like, it's a cool poster. The marketing is funny. Um, you know, I'm going to get you drunk. I'm going to get you laid. So come <laughs> for these reasons. This is the cool spot to be. All these cute people are going to be here. It's going to be this beautiful space. It means a lot to me. You know, these are the things, you know, it was heartfelt. Like everything I do, there's very few things that I've phoned in. Yeah. And I think... I don't know, maybe that's what connected with people is because I was speaking honestly. Like, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I'm excited about. And maybe people will, like, take a chance. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't like, hey, um, we're going to play all this weird music you don't care about. Show up because yeah. it's good for you. Or, you know, this is what's right. And, you know, whatever. You know, I learned, I have, have tried that a couple times and it just didn't work. And then I learned, yeah, people show up for every reason but the music. But I was very you know, um, on top of making sure the music was good too. Yeah. So even if that's not what brought people into the room, they stayed because of that. Yeah. I mean, my first breakthrough party, I'm not super proud of this, but it was a Beyonce party. <laughs> yeah. It was called, are you there Beyonce? It's me mouthfeel. <laughs> and I think people thought the title was funny and I didn't going into it. I just thought it was another one of our dumb theme nights. Um, it just seemed like a joke. We weren't throwing Beyonce, or we weren't, I, you know, I think Beyonce's great, but I, I play house and disco and stuff. So I was playing a, a set of disco music that I thought Beyonce would like. <laughs> that was like my thought. And all of a sudden 300 people were there. And we're like, oh. And people were so mad <laughs> that we weren't playing Beyonce. I mean, we were playing some. Yeah. But we were like playing Diana Ross and we were playing like Tina Turner and then we were playing like some cool funk. And, you know, I thought it was like the type of party Beyonce would want to be at was yeah. like my sort of motivation in the joke. And then people come on and be like, are you going to play some Beyonce? And I'm like, I just played Beyonce. And they're like, yeah, but more. And I'm like, do you like the music you hear? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Beyonce's at YouTube at home waiting for you. Like, yeah. Like, it's fine. Like, just chill. You're here. You don't need to hear her. You know what she sounds like. Yeah. And it actually works. So, you know, it was a little bit of a uh, bait and switch. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I was one of those girls that came right out of the gate being like, I'm going to play hardcore techno. <laughs> and what I'm doing is so pure and true that you have to show up. And I've seen friends do that. And it's great because people <laughs> did show up Yeah. because they like compromised to no one and they connected. Yeah. Um, that's not the path I took. Um, you know, I get jealous of that a little bit, but also at the same time, it's like people still showed up. I still got to play my weird stuff. Yeah. And one thing led to another and now people trust me and I do get to bring the hardcore techno people out. Yeah. Or 
I do get to play far out stuff that's meaningful to me that no one 90% on the dance floor maybe aren't familiar with, but it feels good. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, because there's, there's a really, I, it's about like, because I think that's kind of a, a trite thing that people don't want to let go of, but it really is, it's not really about the music. It's about how the music makes you feel. Sure. And I think on some level, you know, you see, especially you see it in like hardcore techno and stuff. It's just a bunch of like cis dudes, like nerdy cis dudes hanging out. And, like, no one wants to be there. Right. You know, no one wants to go to a party that's like that. You know, people want to sure. see all different kinds of people. And I think if you're going to play, and not that the music's bad, but it's just, like, if you're going to play some of this really far-out stuff, you have to get, like, open a bridge. You know, sure. open something out. And, you know, I think creating accessibility is not necessarily selling out. No. You know? No, it's, yeah, it's with the intention. It's, like, what do you bring it back to? Yeah, it's, like. You're starting at one ploy- place, but where are you ending? But if you keep it base level, start to finish, then yeah, that's not worthy of respect, and that's not interesting, and you're not challenging people or encouraging them to kind of have a different kind of experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my strategy has been like, I know you like this, so if you like, you know, for example, if you like Beyonce, you might like this. 1976 Diana Ross record that <laughs> some French DJ did a cool edit of. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they show I'm like, yeah, I do like this. And I'm like, yeah, you do. You know? <laughs> There's a man, dog, dog party. Dog battle over here. There's a, actually a quote I read earlier today in this book called Lynchpin mm-hmm. by Seth Godin. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard of him? Mm-mm. I highly recommend it. It's really good. It's kind of about being an artist over being a uh, a cog in the wheel, you know, and he's just kind of taking any approach. But the quote is that he's like, it's a paradox to be true to your art. You must sacrifice the part of it that hinders the spread of the art. Sure. You know, so it's kind of, I think it really fits in with what you said, which is that, that I love. It's just that, you know, yeah, you want to just be completely no, you know, I, I don't, I don't cut any corners. This is what I play. Right. I'm not fucking doing, I'm not making any concessions. I do this hardcore underground shit. Right. But it's also like, but no one comes to your shows. You right. Know, you, you get like, you're the same 10 people out over and over and you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that you have to like open, broaden your horizons a little bit. Sure. And try to, yeah, expand in order to expand your reach. And then you bring them, like you said, now here's that underground shit. Sure. I mean, some people are just vanguards. Yeah. And their talent is so undeniable that people can't turn away from it. Yeah. Um, but those people are rare. I'm not that. Most people aren't that. So it's like a lot of hard work. It's a yeah. lot of negotiation. It's a lot of what do I want plus what do other people want. Yeah. And finding a balance well, Between and I think those, those vanguard people, they rely on people like you sure. to give them that shot. Right. You know, because people know I can go to Mouthfeel because I know it's easy. I don't know who this other guy is, but then they'll go and they'll show up and you'll play a set and then they can, that will transition equally well into this other guy. That sure. Will, so then they are able to play to a crowd that is willing to listen totally. to Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, having. I just as important. A group of people that trust the promoter. Yeah. And to come with like an open mind. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. You know? Um, or to just be that type of person. I think it's like a particular personality type that I, in Austin, didn't really think existed six years ago. But now I do think people are way more open-minded. Yeah. I think people want a different experience now. Mm-hmm. Right? I used to be really, really scared. I used to think people were less adventurous and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like the political climate. Maybe it's um, boredom. You finally yeah. are like, well, I've done this for so many times. I might as well try out this other thing. Yeah. I don't quite know what's changed, but I do feel there's a new kind of vibration and openness that didn't exist when I got started. Oh, I definitely agree. I think even in the past few years, Austin's started to open up, especially with regards to like electronic music and like house and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Because I feel like when I first started DJing, I was always really nervous and it might have just been my friend group, but I was always really nervous to play 4-4 stuff because I thought my like I was always afraid people were going to be Oh, it's just the same thing over and over again. You know, like, whatever. Play something with lyrics or something. Right. You know? But I go to so many parties, and people who may not be big house heads or into that music, they'll show up and they'll dance. You know, they just right. want to shake their ass. And it's like, that's all that matters. Yeah, so. if you get people in the space and p- play something that you believe in, yeah, and it's something that is inherently beautiful, more times than not, it should work. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> how life should work. Yeah. You know, if you play music that is meaningful and was made with integrity, that should translate to people if it's, you know, not their thing. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, that's my theory about DJing is that it's almost less about the songs you're playing but how much you believe in those songs. Totally. You know, and I, th- I try to take that approach, and I think it probably translates very well to promotion because it's like, you know, like you said, everything you did, it may not have been like handing out flyers, putting up posters, may not have been the most useful, you know, like, oh, yeah, I get the best return on investment for the time I spent doing this. So, yeah, I can tell. Oh, for God. every 10 flyers I hand out, I get one person. It's like, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think ultimately it affects the vibe when people show up, you know, and also your team. You know, you get people to work with you. Right. People to give you good work because they believe because if you believe in it, then they believe in it. I mean, I yeah, that's another thing is finding people that are smarter and more talented than you. And thankfully, I'm in that position and I'm sure they think I'm an idiot all the time, (laughs) but they keep working with me because I don't know. Whatever I'm doing, I guess, is worth their time. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely an important thing is building bonds with the people you look up to. Yeah. I think that's a big important thing. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much for uh, talking to me. I oh, my God. This probably... is so fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for <laughs> inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess before we go, uh, give a little blurb about maybe some stuff you're working on. Sure. Um, yeah, kind of talk about maybe upcoming things you're excited about. So the first thing I can talk about is October 14th. My friend Ezra is putting on a one-day festival called GACL. It's the oh, yeah. fifth one that's an alternative to... Austin City Limits Festival that's focused on queer artists, lots of women, and emerging voices. And um, 
I am directing the headliner's show. Her name is Trish, who's sort of a drag character, um, who's a wonderful, uh, upstanding Christian woman, who's a very talented baton twirler, who has her own country band. So she goes by Trish in the Earwoods. And it's kind of a, it's a 12-piece band, so yeah. it's very serious. Uh, but she's also hysterical, so there's lots of monologues and storytelling. There's video. Uh, we're kind of taking a lot of inspiration from uh, Sandra Bernhardt's Without You, I'm Nothing. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like this variety act that has a very muscular 12-piece country band <laughs> backing her up. So that, that's very exciting. And then we're doing a Halloween show on actual Halloween. Oh, that okay. I, which is on, like, Tuesday this year. It is on a Tuesday, yeah, but we're going late. Cool. And I can't announce right now who it is, but um, it'll be worth your time. So cool. be on the lookout. Is that going to be Mouthfeel? That's a Mouthfeel okay, cool. and Friends. And uh, also, where can people find you, like, online? And kind of um, My SoundCloud is just soundcloud.com, a backslash Mouthfeel. <laughs> can't believe I found that. Uh, my Instagram, which is also Mouthfeel. Okay. Um, is probably the best way Did to... Did you change it to Mouth Feelers? Mouth Feelings is my Twitter account. Oh, that's your that's Twitter. where I would share yeah. my mouth feelings. Oh, gotcha. But I don't use that anymore. Is Twitter still a thing? Some people Our president use it. uses it. Yeah, I don't use it. That's the only person I know who does I'm an Instagram queen, so... Yeah, Instagram's kind of my... Yeah, choice. at Mouthfeel. That's where all the good shit is. Okay, cool. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Well, bud. thank you so much. All Happy right. to be here. Bye.